Ah, sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. The climate has become much more difficult to protect religious freedom in the states. I don't know what has, well, I do know what has happened, but I suspect our listeners are only dimly aware of how difficult it is now to protect religious freedom. So I've invited my good friend and colleague, Tim Schultz, president of the First Amendment Partnership, uh, a D.C.-based organization that works on state legislation to protect people of all faiths all over the country, uh, to be my guest today on Freedom's Ring. Welcome back, Tim. Alan, it's always great to, to be with you. And before we started, you said there was some good news out of out of Kansas today. Yeah. Why don't we start with some good news? Good news, Alan. The governor of Kansas, if he hasn't done so, he will do so very shortly, uh, will sign a bill to make Kansas the eighth state to protect the rights of campus religious groups to select their leaders consistent with religious criteria. So, of course, sororities and fraternities can select their leaders based on sex and not get into any trouble for quote-unquote discrimination. But around the country, lots of universities are saying that if religious groups want to do the same thing, that is, choose people according to religious criteria, that they are somehow violating a non-discrimination principle. And this law would make Kansas, again, the eighth state to say to their public universities, it's totally okay for religious groups on campus to have these criteria and to use them in their selection of their members. And these laws were necessitated by a case a couple of years ago that I thought was a no-brainer to be won that we lost involving a Christian legal society chapter at the University of California Hastings School of Law in San Francisco, of all places. Correct. Uh, So eight states now recognize that a Christian club should be allowed to have Christian leaders a Jewish club should be allowed to have Jewish leaders, etc. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that, you know, Jews or Arabs or atheists can't join the Christian club. Um, they just can't be, you know, insist on being leaders. That's right. And, you know, there's a great article, if anybody uh, on your, you know, listening wants to Google this. It was a Christianity Today article called The Wrong Kind of Christian, and it was a a first-person account from a student leader at Vanderbilt University, which is a private university, but it would also uh, instituted one of these, uh, you know, one of these retaliations against campus religious groups. I think it really tells the story well about, frankly, an anti-religious attitude from some school administrators, and uh, I think it really... uh, frames the issue quite well. Well, if our listeners want to know more about the battles at Vanderbilt, you can look up our past Freedom's Ring shows on iTunes or SoundCloud. Yep. We've uh, we've done a couple of them. So I started with the premise, Tim, uh, Kansas being perhaps an exception, it's becoming more difficult to secure basic protections for religious freedom in the states. Do you agree with that? Well, there's no doubt about that, Alan. You know, when you and I um, first met, we both were testifying several years ago in front of the Nevada legislature in favor of a state religious restoration act. And 
In that same year, even though we did not pass the law in Nevada, there were two states, both Kentucky and Kansas, that passed uh, RIFRAs, uh, very much like the federal law, with overwhelming bipartisan majorities. Um, and now, just three years later, uh, passage of these laws has become so controversial that when Georgia, for instance, passed a Religious Freedom Restoration Act last week, uh, the National Football League has now hinted that they may not hold the Super Bowl in Atlanta. Uh, this is highly hypocritical because the other states that they're considering also have state Religious Freedom Restoration Acts. But nonetheless, it shows that these have become a cultural flashpoint and that when that's the case, it just makes it a lot harder to protect religious liberty. Is it fair to say that religious freedom has become kind of a uh, a bad word or or somehow associated simply with uh, the right wing and the culture wars? Well, I think so. And I think that that's because of a very well-funded and, uh, you know, uh, some well-funded efforts to paint it that way. I don't think it's entirely fair, okay? And obviously, I work full-time to make sure that it doesn't happen. But I think it's there's no question that the brand of religious freedom has become extremely tarnished, and I think mostly unfairly. I think it had to do largely with what happened a couple of years ago. Your listeners may remember in Arizona last year in Indiana. I think the, the, the Hobby Lobby case became highly controversial. And I just think we have, you know, in America, competing views about what religious freedom is and that they're playing out in courts and legislatures. And obviously, the you know, this all goes back to a case I know you talk about a lot, which is Employment Division versus Smith, which said that essentially that if you want religious freedom rights, you have to protect them in the political process and legislatures. And when religious freedom is subject to political the political process, uh, it's not always going to be pretty because religious freedom is very popular in theory, but unpopular in particular practical cases. Well, I do think that there has been some overreach on the right in certain religious circles, but that doesn't justify the kind of determined hostility we see from the left. Um, let's uh, l- let me first talk about an experience I had, Tim, recently. I was at an American Bar Association meeting, the title of which was LGBT Rights and Religious Freedom, a Slow Motion car crash, question mark. You know, is this a conflict, you know, a a crash, an inevitable conflict? And the answer from the gay rights activists who were on the panel was no. There is no conflict. We have established principles of, you know, discrimination. We win. LGBT rights wins. Um, Religious liberty has to bow, as it were, you know, and submit. And that was the perspective. Alan, you're right. Uh, To some degree, the left has applied uh, to religious freedom uh, a definition that it is simply nothing more than a right to discriminate. And of course, Americans uh, justly reject or repulsed by discrimination. So that's a very effective, uh, if misleading, characterization of what religious freedom is. So a lot of us believe, and I believe, that in some cases, and maybe in most cases, the best antidote to uh, to refuting this charge is to make it clear that not only do we oppose discrimination, but to the degree that discrimination against gays and lesbians is not already illegal, but we're willing to make it illegal 
uh, in return for robust protections for religious liberty. So I, I just will note that last year, Utah uh, quite famously passed a law that became known as the Utah Compromise that made it illegal to discriminate against gays, lesbians, and transgendered in the context of employment or in the context of housing. Uh, but in return, they also passed protections for religious liberty that I would argue probably go beyond what even Georgia passed this week. And of course, Georgia is quite controversial. Uh, Utah wasn't that controversial. I think it was a difficult negotiation. But ultimately, I think they were left with an attempt to try to find a win-win scenario. And I just think that that's hard to uh, for the left to malign. I think it's just it's hard for them to mischaracterize when you're willing to say, look, we, we think that certain kinds of discrimination against gays and lesbians, even if they don't happen that often, that they are wrong, they shouldn't happen, and we're actually willing to fight for their rights uh, as we're asking them to respect our rights. Well, I do think that, you know, I mean, discrimination happens far more than uh, Americans may realize, whether it's against people of faith or uh, the LGBT community. Uh, you know, that's kind of my bread and butter is dealing with uh, employment discrimination cases. Right. But I'm I'm also concerned, I, you know, I'm concerned about the overreach on the left, but I'm also concerned about overreach within the faith community. Sure. I mean, when the state of New York Department of Motor Vehicles let somebody take a driver's license photo with a colander on their head because they're a member of the Pastafarian religion, which is a total spoof and, and known to be. It's like, okay, are you just trying to give religious freedom a bad name? Right. I agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, that there is a sense that, that the accommodation has gone too far um, and that uh, if you do that, you to some degree make a mockery uh, out of claims for religious freedom. Um, you know, but at the same time, I think that's why it's up to us, Alan, doing the work we do uh, to try to make a reasonable case that will resonate with the majority of Americans. And I think that is the great challenge that we face. Um, you know, unfortunately, or I guess maybe you'll you'll agree with me, it's, it's probably best that churches are not designed like political organizations. I think that would probably be dangerous if they were. But the challenge is, is that when religious freedom is subject to the votes of legislators, churches sometimes aren't the most effective political actors because they're just not organized to be that way, right? That's just not what they do full-time for a living. Sure. And so it means that we're at an inherent disadvantage when it comes to trying to fight in the political arena for the full spectrum of our rights. Well, and so I think the whole point of religious freedom is, you know, if you're in the majority— then you don't need to have a statute to protect you. The laws are going to respect right. what are the more common beliefs and practices. And so it's only when your views become a minority or your practices is a minority practice. So, for example, you know, I observe the Sabbath. That's a minority practice among people of faith. It's certainly, you know, an ancient one, and, and generally people respect it, but uh, it's a minority practice, so it's not one that the culture and the laws generally accommodate. And for us to somehow get the majority to respect our rights as a minority, the legislative process is not designed for respect for the minority. It's you know the majority rules. Right. Well, that's the that's the exact problem we face, and I think 
related to that, Alan, is the fact that many religious Americans still feel like they somehow are the majority. And I think that's that's also wrong. I think if you look at, um, if you you know, even though a majority of Americans identify as having some religious faith, I think that the thick religious faith that, uh, you know, that we see certainly among most Seventh-day Adventists that I know, and many Christians of all stripes that I know, still is kind of a numerical minority in the United States if you look at polls. I think a lot of what I have to do is try to convince people to think like a minority, because even though Christianity may be still a majority in some parts of the country, it's a minority in most places now. And uh, if, if that's the case, then we have to think like a minority in protecting religious freedom rights. And as you know, uh, from all your years in this, in this work, that is hard, and it requires uh, trade-offs, requires lots of, uh, you know, finesse. And I think that, unfortunately, a lot of our, uh, our allies are just now waking up to that fact. Well, you know, I'm going to put your question directly to our listeners, and I want to urge you to, to respond. Uh, would you insist on religious freedom as a standalone, or would you be willing to bundle religious freedom with gay rights protections and say, let's protect everybody's rights? Which way would you go? and uh, would encourage you to, to look me up on Facebook and send me a message. Or even, I'll give you my email, Liberty at churchstate.org. I'll be happy to be flooded with emails from listeners and tell us what you think. Our guest today, Tim Schultz, president of the First Amendment Partnership. We've been talking about how difficult it's become to protect religious freedom in state law. Tim, blessing as always to have you with us on Freedom's Reign. Always a pleasure, Alan. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just walk the walk, talk the talk, we walk the walk. We defend those who suffer religious discrimination in the workplace. Contact us at churchstate.org. And don't forget, freedom is not free. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.